You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Hi, hey, good morning. My name's Todd. Uh, I'm an elder here at Anthem Church. Excited to open the word with you this morning. We're actually starting our summer series this morning. We'll be going through the book of Psalms this summer. Uh, so we're not going to be going through left to right. Uh, so we're not going to start with Psalm 1 and just work our way through because we're not going to be in Psalm for the next 10 years. <laughs> so we're going to kind of bounce around and kind of capture some of the essence. The nice thing about doing something like this is you can hit some selected Psalms and then you can do it we're not, like next summer you could hit different ones or whatever. So the, the goal is not to do every single psalm, but to hit some of big ones. And so um, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 24, if you have your Bible there when to open. And uh, I have my board here because uh, it's summer and, you know, it's like summer blockbuster season where like all the big movies come out, which means it's either like an action movie or a comedy, you know, like those are what makes the money, brings the people out of the sun and into the theater. And uh, I don't know what kind of stories you like, but I like stories and having kids is kind of a fun chance to like revisit some of the old stories that uh, you used to like when you were a kid. Um, I don't know, like if you like rant, romance or you like comedy or you like to smash them together and have romantic comedies where you have people laugh about being in love, apparently. Uh, or if you like action movies or sports movies or whatever it is you're into, um, all stories kind of break down to one formula. There's a situation, right? You're introduced to a world. Here's, here's how the world works. Here's the characters involved. Then there's a conflict. Something's on the horizon. Something's going wrong. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. Then there's like a climax where it kind of all comes to a head. Something's going to happen and everything's going to change based on what happens here. And then there's a resolution, you know, like that. The big moment, the music swells, and then there's the kind of like, it fades back in, and then there's a, what happened in this world in the last five minutes where they kind of put a bow on everything? Um, that's the story, right? But that's not just... That's, that's not just those stories, that's every story. Every story is that. And the Bible is that story as well. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So the reason why all these stories resemble that is because that is the story that God has put on the hearts of all people, because that is the story of us. That is his story. That's God's story. And so the reason why Harry Potter has to die is because that's every story. The reason why Neo in the Matrix has to die is because that's every story. Every good story. The reason why the Disney movies play out the way they do is because there has to be this world and there has to be a problem and there has to be an epic climax and, you know, Elsa or Anna, somebody's going to have to die, right? Every story is that story. And so this morning, it's my pleasure to kind of introduce you to the story. And Psalm 24 is going to kind of have all of the basic elements of this. So in case you don't have it there already, Psalm 24 is where we're going to be this morning. So if you're there, let's open up and get going. I know it's hot, so I'll try and make the best use. I, I also have this bandana here. I'm not trying to be street. <laughs> I just kind of, you know, I'm doing the old Baptist pastor thing where you wipe your head because you get all fired up, except for I'm outside, so I have an excuse. I'm not wearing a suit in an air-conditioning auditorium. Like, I'm sweating because I'm outside. Okay, let's do this thing. Psalm 24. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. In case it's windy, I didn't know if it'd be windy or not or whatever, so I put them up on slides for you guys so you can see it. Is this in the way of the slides? Okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. I don't. There's no good way to put this where it's not going to be in somebody's way. So we'll just put it there. Okay. So I'm sorry, you guys, but you, you just lost my random lottery. Okay, so verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So first thing in our story, God is the main character. 
all right? You are not the main character of the Bible. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> when you read it, you're always trying to find yourself, like, what's my Mount Sinai? What's my Goliath? You don't have one, because you're not David or Moses. <laughs> God is the main character of this story, all right? And he wants to, right out of the gate, introduce himself as the main character. You open your Bible, flip all the way to the left. In the beginning, who? God, right? Like, in the beginning, before our beginning, before our story begins, there's somebody else hanging out who has other things going on outside of us. We're not the main character of this story. God is. And uh, that's the first thing that even this psalm wants to introduce. And the interesting thing about this main character, this main character here is God. He's going to be up here. He's the, he's the main character. My G's are weird. I don't know where I learned to do that. Okay, so verses 1 and 2. God is the main character of our story. And the interesting thing about this main character is he is the author of every other story. The main character of this story is the author of everybody else's story. Like, imagine that movie. Like, this opens, and there's a guy, and it's like, and he's the author of every story. Every other story that's ever been written is he's the author of it. That's an interesting main character. wonder what's going on with this guy, right? <laughs> like, what's his deal? Um, and so he is the author of everything and of everyone. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. So the world, like everything that's ever been made, Everything, he's the author of all of it. Everything is his, and that includes you. You're part of the story. God made you. The world and those who dwell therein, we dwell therein. <laughs> we don't talk that way, but that's what we do. <laughs> We're dwelling therein this morning. That's us. And uh, the, the thing about authors is if you are the author of something, you have authority over those things, right? That's where the word comes from. You ever wondered? Author authority is because there is an author, and authors get to decide what they make, what it should do, what it's for, what it's supposed to do, where it starts, where it stops, why it's there, what the purpose of it is. And so God is not only the maker of all things, but he's, he's the establisher of purpose. So it says in verse 2, he founded it and established it. It says he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He didn't just build a house. He made a home. That makes sense. You understand the difference between like he's the architect of the things, but he's also the establisher. He like gives it a purpose, a reason. And isn't that like something that we long for? We want purpose. Don't we search for meaning and stuff? We want there to be a purpose. And good news, this story says there is a purpose. God actually made everything with a reason. You have a reason to be here, not just in general, but this morning. God has you here for a reason, for a purpose, because he's the author and he's writing our stories. And not just everyone and everything, but did you catch it? Every part of everything and everyone. It says in verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means every eyelash, Nathan, every eyelash is God's. Every blade of grass that makes up a park, everything, every part of everything. So not just you individually, but every part of everything. And I think like we like to skate around that. We don't, that, that's kind of a suffocating feel sometimes. So we like to kind of compartmentalize things. So we say like, God, you are the God of my head. <laughs> you can have this, but not that. Like you can have the head, but the heart, that's going to be for something else. Like we compartmentalize. You can have this part, but not that part. We compartmentalize or we compromise and we say like, you can have some of this arm, some of this leg, <laughs> but not all of anything. You can have a little bit of everything but all of none of it. But the Bible says that the fullness thereof is his. So all your arm, both of them, <laughs> both your legs, all of you is God's. And he has authority over all of it. And he has a purpose for all of it. He has a reason why you have it and what he wants you to do with it. 
So that's our situation. That's the setting where our story takes place. The stage that the world, that the world is, that God has created, that's our stage. That's us. You, you maybe start to see the conflict already. Where it's like, you're saying every part of me has a reason. I wonder if I've been doing that. <laughs> I wonder if my eyelashes have been blinking the way that God wanted them to. I wonder if they've been looking at the things he wants me to and closing my eyelids to the things he wants me to. I wonder if my hands have touched the things I'm supposed to. I start, you see the conflict all of a sudden? It's like, so you're telling me this God has authority and has opinions about everything, and he hasn't been shy about communicating those. The problem is there, but it's buried. It's subtle. It's early in the movie. You know, it's, it's like, oh, what's going to happen here? And so our story moves on. Verse 3, the, the obvious question arises out of this. David asks it. You might be asking it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? This is you. This is God. How's that going to happen? <laughs> right? If you just told me that I have a purpose and that I'm supposed to be doing certain things, I wonder how I'm going to get back to him. I wonder if I'm doing everything. And I kind of suspect that I'm probably not. Because, like, who could do that? And David's, like, hear the exasperation in his voice. Like, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who could do that? Who could stand in his holy place? And so those two words are really important. Ascend and stand. Those are the two verbs he uses. Those are the two problems he has here. Ascend. It starts off with a high view of God, right? Ascend. We're going to need, this is verse 3, by the way. Like, who could ascend? God is up, above, over. It's, it assumes a high view of God to begin with. Who could go from here to there? God is above us. Who could get up that mountain? Who could do that? Who could ascend? Because God is higher than we think he is. He's much higher. And if your view of God is that the gap is not that big and that you think that uh, you know, not cheating on your taxes is what bridges that gap, then your God is not high as the God who wrote your story. He is higher than you think he is. He's above that. If you think just staying out of trouble or keeping your hands clean or doing some nice gestures every once in a while will bridge that gap, your God isn't high enough. It's not as high as the God that actually is. And so it starts asking the question, well, if God is that high, who could get there, right? Good question. David asks it. The other problem we have is stand, right? So even if you could climb this thing, how could you stay there? <laughs> who, could, who could stand in a holy place? Because God is holier than we think he is. He's not only higher than we think he is, he's holier, which is just a catch-all word for other than. Like all the things that you think about, he's omniscient, he knows everything. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. Like all those things that make him different than us is, is encapsulated by the one word, holy. He is holy, he is different than us. And that's worshipful and glorious, but that's a problem for us. Because how are you going to stand? How are you going to stand? How are you going to live there? Like Mount Everest is the highest mountain in our world. And most people will never climb it. And of the ones who did, nobody lives there. <laughs> like nobody lives on Mount Everest. Like even the people who made it, it took incredible amount of planning and preparation and grit and determination just to get there. And the second they get there, they take the selfie and they walk down. Because <laughs> you can't live there. It's like jumping. It's like, remember the presidential fitness thing? For some reason, when they see what your vertical was, <laughs> remember, it's like they wanted you to run back and forth to these cups. They wanted you to run a mile and they wanted you to jump and see how high you could jump, right? Like, will you do that? And I remember, you know, being a boy and being like, I want to dunk someday, you know, because I'm <laughs> delusional. <laughs> and so you'd like jump and you'd touch the wall and you'd be like, you know, you want every, you know, millimeter to count. And the, but, but, you know, how high I can jump, I was only at that height for a split second. Most of the energy was trying to get there, and the second I got it, it was all downhill from there. Even at my highest point, I wasn't there very long, right? David's asking the question, 
who could stand here? Who could stand there? Even, even if you could get there, let's give you that. You can't, but let's assume you could. You couldn't live there. Even if you, even if you could get to the top of Mount Everest, you could not live there. Even if you wanted to, you can't because God is holier than we think he is. He's more set apart. There's more distance between us than we assume there is. And to show that David's not just being like rhetorical, like, oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, let's you know, spend a lot of years in college debating stuff like that. That's interesting. He's like, no, let's put boots on the ground. Let's make this real. So verses four through six, he's like, oh, that's not a rhetorical question. There's an answer. <laughs> it's not just who shall ascend the hill of the Lord. Nobody. Shucks. Moving on, I guess. <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> he's like, no, there's an answer to that question. Look at verse four through six. Here's the answer. Who could do that? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face, the God of Jacob. So there's four things here, and this is by no means meant to be a comprehensive list. It's not like, check these four boxes and you're good. And then you get to do this. He's just saying, for example, if you want to know, there's an answer to that question. Who could, who could climb the hill and live with God? Here's four examples. He who has clean hands. This guy has hands, right? They're not pretty hands. He's more like Edward Sitzer hands, but I mean, <laughs> they're hands. <laughs> They'll work <laughs> in a pinch. <laughs> um, so so he has, you have to have clean hands, right? He who has clean hands. You can't do anything wrong, ever. You ever seen people climb like a rock wall? Like the kind of people who like get like the ones that are like dangerously high and they're not using a net or anything. You're like, one mistake, they're dead. They're so high that you can't make one false move. Like the kind of people that are free climbers, you're like, it's fun to watch on YouTube, but like, you're like, if that was my daughter or my son, like, I would be having a heart attack right now. Or it's like, at least send me the video like, of, of like, after you're down. You're like, oh, this is me climbing that hill. So at least I'm not in suspense the whole time. Of like, is my kid dead? Because <laughs> like, they look like they're about to die because any wrong move and you're done. <clears throat> Same thing for this mountain. If you want to climb this hill, if you want to ascend the hill of the Lord, you must have clean hands, no, no mistakes. Zero. Once you make any mistake, you're out. Because once you get your hands dirty, you can't get them clean again. Have you noticed that? Like, if you have dirty hands, my kids play in the yard, they come in, what do they need to get their hands clean? Soap, right? Your soap is dirty because it gets you clean. Once you are dirty, you cannot make yourself clean. No matter how hard you try, a dirty hand cannot get another dirty hand clean. You need something outside of you to make you clean. And it has to get dirty so that you can get clean. There's a reason why you're cleaning your shower. You're like, what? Why am I cleaning my shower? It's the thing that cleans me. <laughs> That's why it's dirty. Because <laughs> something has to get dirty. Once, once dirt has been introduced into the story, it has to go somewhere. It didn't just go away. Something has to take care of it. Something has to take care of the dirt, and you can't do it. Once your dirty hands are dirty, they can't clean themselves. Second thing he says... If that's, okay, that's, you know, for example, if you want to climb this hill, you got to do that, but, you know, to raise the stakes, you have to have a pure heart. So even if you somehow did everything right, you have to do it for the right reason. So you came to church this morning. Good for you. That's great. It's really hot. Good for you. Did you, you know, did you come with the right motive? Like, that just ups the ante even more. Now, now you're telling me you care about the inside of the dish, not just the outside, how it looks on the open shelving. You know, you see those shows on HDTV and they have like the open shelving. You're like, it looks really pretty, but it's like you realize how clean your dishes have to be <laughs> like all the time because they're on display for everyone to see all the time. And it's like it's not just the outside that counts because if you're going to eat out of them, <laughs> you're going to want the inside clean as well. It's not enough just to have a clean-looking bowl. It has to be clean on the inside. And the stakes are raised here. You can't just not do anything wrong, but you have to have the right reason for everything you've ever done. <laughs> Even if you do the right thing, it has to be for the right 
reason, because the inside matters just as much as the outside. Third thing he lists, he says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. You can't climb this hill if you're busy climbing other hills. This hill is hard enough. This hill, he's just presented how hard this hill is to climb. If you ever have any hope of making it from here to here, if you want relationship with God, you can't be climbing other hills. You can't have idols in your life. You can't be summiting other hills because, yeah, maybe they're easier and maybe you can reach success. Maybe you can reach popularity. Maybe you can reach the perfect marriage. Maybe you can have 2.5 kids, a white picket fence. You can summit those hills, but they're not this hill. And if you make those your hill, when are you going to have time to do this? Like, this is hard enough. And, and, and it doesn't matter how many hills you climb if it's not the right one. Those hills don't lead to where God is. Now, those might be part of your life, and you're, you're not excluded from being, I have a good marriage, and I'm happy I do. <laughs> and I have lots of kids, and I'm happy I do. But God has to be, you have to be climbing this hill, and those have to be along for the ride. They have to be part of your entourage that's climbing this mountain. They can't be the point. If those are the mountains, if you run off to those, you don't have time to do this one, and it doesn't matter if you summit them or not if it's the wrong mountain. It doesn't matter if you invest your whole life and accomplish everything you wanted. If it's not the right mountain, you won't get back to God. And the fourth thing he lists, who does not swear deceitfully, who doesn't lie, who doesn't say things that aren't true. You can't simply say, well, I'd like to climb this mountain. I think that's an important thing for people to do. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but just saying it should be enough, right? I acknowledge that this is an important thing for somebody to do. People should be about this. You can't promise, I'll do it someday. I'll, pro I'll climb this someday. That should count, right? The fact that I want to do it at all when I'm 30, when I'm settled down, when I have wife, kids, when it's important, when somebody's following me, when I'm close to death, when I'm 60, when I get cancer, then I'll do it. You can't swear deceitfully. What makes you think that you'll do it then if you're not willing to do it now? You think future you is a better person than you are. He or she isn't. They're you right now, and they will be just as uh, likely to not do it as you are to not do it right now. You can't swear deceitfully. You must swear. You must promise and then do what you said you were going to do. So all that to say, if you want to climb this hill and stand in this place, got to be perfect. Just do that. <laughs> just be perfect. If that's the game you want to play, be perfect, and you will have a relationship with God. You will have it, and he'll be happy to have you because you're perfect, and you're holy already, so you're kind of like in the club. You're sitting at the right table at lunch. <laughs> you fit all the criteria. And so at our point in this story, we introduce, we'll see a lot of these this summer in the, in the Psalm series, but we have our first Selah. So here's verses four through six, right? You thought you were here, but oh no. <laughs> we're actually on a downhill slope. So a little stick man migrated down here. And now we ask the question here, Selah. You'll see it up on a slide. Selah simply means take a moment, think about that for a second. Think about it, like meditate. Like it's a, it's a, it's a musical instruction for the band to like pause in, a, in oratory and speaking. They call it a pregnant pause where you say something like this. If you want relationship with God, you must be perfect. I was waiting for the face to tell me it's uncomfortable. You told me. Thank you. <laughs> You're like, awkward. <laughs> Say something, somebody, please. Selah. Sit in that for a moment. Just don't move past it. Don't move past the like, where am I sitting at Applebee's today? And Like, don't move past it. Oh, no, there's free food. I don't have to worry about that. Yay. Like, don't move past this so fast. Like, sit in it for a second. Selah. Meditate on that. Stew in it for, marinate, percolate, whatever. Like, something, some verb, do it. But, but, Sit in that for a second. What are we going to do? 
this is bad, right? Like, this is not great. <laughs> That's a much bigger distance than we at the beginning of our story. Why are you telling me this story sucks? I don't like this story at all. It makes me feel bad. I don't like it. <laughs> Sit in that for a second. And while we're sitting in that, imagine yourself in this story, and then something in the distance begins to move. Something in the distance is making its way up this hill. And you're like, what's going on here? This person's got way further up the hill than I've ever seen anybody get before. This person's got ups. <laughs> look at them go. Like, they're doing it. Like, look at them go. Look, look, what is happening here? Something in the distance is happening. Something is moving. And the psalm moves to verse 7. It says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. You're like, who is this guy? What's happening here? Like, I'm looking around. It's light. He's like us, but he's accomplishing way more than we ever did. How is this happening? Who is this person? Someone is making it up this hill. I don't know how they're doing it, but I'm kind of excited. It's kind of like everybody's, it's, it's, the, it's trending on all the social media. They're like, just live right now. Somebody's Facebook living it. They're like showing it. This guy is doing it right now. He's making it up there. How is he doing it? And where is he getting? He's getting to these things that are called ancient doors. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they were kicked out because they were no longer able to be in God's presence. That was his mercy because to keep them there, he would have had to kill them because they couldn't survive his presence any longer as sinners in the sight. They were dirty. And now some, they had to go. They couldn't be in there anymore. Dirt couldn't be there. They're not holy or high anymore, so they had to leave. And when they left, if you remember, he closed the doors behind them. And not only that, that'd be enough. If God locks the door, I'm guessing you can't pick lock it. But he put an angel with a flaming sword there just in case. <laughs> These doors have been closed for a long time, from the very beginning of our story, from the, maybe, maybe even the second page of your Bible, Genesis 3. They've been locked and closed for a long time. This has been a problem for a long time. But somebody's knocking on these doors. They're knocking on the ancient doors that nobody's ever even sniffed at for all of our existence. We've always heard stories of people falling so short, but this guy is right up against it. He's right next to the doors. And look at verse 8. It keeps going. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this? It's God. What? I thought it was a dude. <laughs> it looks like a guy. So now, like, you're telling me this is God. God is the one doing this. God is climbing the mountain. Why is he doing this? Why is he here? I don't, under, I don't understand. Like, why is God? He is high and holy and lifted up. What's he doing down here? What's, he doesn't belong down here. Why is he down here of all people? We deserve to be here. This is our fault. Why is he here? He's high, he's holy, but he's down and dirty. I don't get it. He's got dirt under his fingernails as he claws his way up this hill and he's doing it. You think that's a plot twist? Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. I have it on the board. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for you who can't see past this thing. You think that's a plot twist, that the man climbing the hill is God? Check out this for a plot twist. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. See, in the Bible, we have drama and we have doctrine. Drama is the story, what happened. Doctrine is, what does the story mean? Doctrine tells you what the story means. Paul here in 2 Corinthians is looking back on the story and telling you, here's what that means. Why is he doing this? Who is this king of glory? Why is Jesus doing this? Because we couldn't. And he wanted this bridge to be gapped. He wanted to mediate 
the distance that we couldn't. So what Jesus did was, for our sake, he lived the life you should have. He lived the life you should have for your sake. He never got his hands dirty, ever. Never had the wrong motive for anything he ever did. Never gave any part of himself in any way to anything other than God alone. And he never overpromised and then underdelivered. He did all the things that we should have done. But not only that, for our sake, he died the death that we deserved for falling short. For our sake, he did what we should have done, and he paid the price for what we did do and couldn't pay off. His clean hands were nailed to a cross. His pure heart was pierced by a spear. His faithful, loyal soul was counted as a traitor, and he was accused of treason and murdered as a traitor to the state, as a traitor. The one who was faithful and loyal to all mankind was treated as a traitor and murdered as a traitor of treason of all things. And his truthful mouth, his lips that never overpromised, never underdelivered, never told a lie, were smacked by people who didn't appreciate the person who was talking to him. And the plot twist is he was doing this for our sake. For our sake, he did all this. And that's good news. Amen? He did what we couldn't do. So with this problem, the author had a solution to that problem. He saw down the quarters and he knew what he was going to do before he started our story in motion. He had a solution. And the climax of it all is Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. So how did he bridge this gap? The cross. On, in one act, he completes a perfect life and pays the perfect penalty for all of our sin. And that's good news, and that's worth repeating. So like, if I were to say, hey, you know, Andy's is giving away free ice cream today, you'd be like, what? Andy's is giving away free ice cream today? I'd be like, yeah, Andy's is giving away free ice cream today. We'd keep saying the same thing over and over because that's good news. And that's comparatively less good news to what we're talking about here. So it's not surprising that in verse 9 and 10, he repeats himself. <laughs> so he says, lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this? And this is less of a question now. Now it's more like, it's like the apostles in the boat. Like, who is this man in the boat? Like, who is this? Like, I'm in awe at this point. Not, I'm not asking a question because I want an answer. I'm stunned. Who is this God who would do this? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The one who is over and above and the author of everything entered into the story and got low and dirty and grimy for our sake. And that's good news. And the story ends with one last Selah. So that's the story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the story. That's every story. What do you think the right response is? Selah. How will your story resolve? The climax is the cross. How, how does your story play out from here? How's your story going to end? After all of that, in light of everything that's happened, your story's still going. What do you think the resolution should be for you today? In light of this story, What's the resolution look like for you? What will that look like? Well, we respond at Anthem by taking communion. We have two tables here. The way we respond to hearing God's word is through communion. And we respond to it because of what he did on our behalf. And that song we sang, Mediator, it comes from the Bible. I have the verse up here. It'll be the last verse I'll show you today. 1 Timothy 2, 5, and the first part of verse 6. There is, for there is one God, and there is one mediator, between God and men, one. The man, Christ Jesus, the man who was God, who was man, but God, and who gave himself as a ransom for us all. He came down and paid a ransom. Here you go, guys. That makes sense now, right? 
he came down and paid the ransom for us all. There's one God, one author of every story in this room, one purpose that he's created you for that you have fallen short of, but in Christ he has fulfilled the purpose that you were made and you can find purpose with your life in him. And so we respond by taking communion and saying, that body that was broken, that's for me. That's how I resolve this story. That's mine, and I'm going to live in light of that. That cup of blood that was spilled with life, blood represents life and death, that's for me. For our sake, when it says for our sake, that's me. For my sake, he did that. And so the band will come up and play. I'm going to pray. When you come, break off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, take it in faith, saying, that story is my story. That's for me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that is true and enduring and lasting. Thank you for stories. I like stories. Uh, they're fun. And it's fun seeing in them an echo of the one true story. It's fun being reminded that all the best stories that we like, the epic stories, the, the climax, the tension, the resolution, the beautiful sacrifice and love and that we see in the best of stories all point us back to the one true story. All the fiction in the world can't measure up to the one true story that's true. You, Father, came down, sent your son, and took the form of a servant and lived the life that we should have and died the death that we deserved for our sake, in our place, for our sin, in our place, for our righteousness, so that we could ascend the hill. Because, Lord, you didn't just ascend the hill of the Lord. You first ascended the hill called Calvary. Before you ever made it back to the Father, you first went through a very different hill, a difficult hill that required you to die. And you didn't do it because you needed to get back. You had a passport to heaven. You were a citizen. You belonged there. You did it because we needed to get back, and you were the only way for us to do that. Thank you for your sacrifice. May we partake in communion today, breaking the bread and, and taking it into ourselves, saying that body, that blood is for me, and I'm going to put it in me, and I'm going to identify with it. It's mine, and I'm going to live my life. Every part of me, the fullness of me is yours. No more compromise, no more a little bit, but not everything. No more compartmentalized, no more this, but that. All of it, yours. I decide that today. Your story is my story, and I want to live in light of that and share that story with others who don't know and remind others who do know. In your name we pray, amen.